Hey guys, it's Steve Baker, the Pragmatic Constitutionalist. Thanks for uh, joining me on this uh, special edition of our podcast. Uh, I am going to be telling the story of my um, day in Washington, D.C. last Wednesday, January 6th. And I have spent the last four or five days piecing this story together, going through miles and miles of video to make sure that what I saw was correct. As most of you know, our eyes and our brains uh, can only uh, process so much information as it's coming in from all di different directions. And on that particular day, uh, it was a cascading amount of uh, images that I've never experienced before in my life, not only in the size of the crowd at the rally, but obviously, as we know, what ended up happening then at, at the Capitol building um, shortly thereafter. And I wanted to get this all right, so I very, very uh, tediously went through the images frame by frame, in many cases, hours upon hours watching this video before I even started writing. And then as I was writing and documenting uh, what I saw and what I had captured, I was, again, very, very specific and very tediously um, detailed in making sure that what I'm about to say is the accurate um, truth of what I saw. And let's just... Let's just put it this way. This is what I saw. Some of this is going to uh, conflict with uh, mainstream media narrative. Uh, some of it has been validated by them. Uh, some of this is in conflict with uh, the various voices on the left and the right, but it is exactly what I saw. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time before I start this just uh, explaining a little bit of background on myself because I have a, I have a feeling that more people will become... Um, uh, exposed to TPC as a result of this particular podcast than, than were previously uh, familiar with us. So having said that, I started this uh, about 11 years ago uh, on a Facebook page and uh, it grew and we ended up with tens of thousands of followers. And then when COVID came to town back last year, uh, I, being a full-time musician and in the music business full-time for most of my adult career, I was suddenly <laughs> unemployed, as you can imagine. We were just literally not allowed to work. So I decided to ramp up what we're doing with TPC, and uh, we'd never monetized this before. So we decided to, myself and a partner, uh, we decided to um, roll out a full blog site. Uh, we bought all the podcast equipment, and uh, we started piecing together um, more you know, um, social media platforms and podcast platforms and all of that, all that you do and, and you've seen done by many other people. So it's no secret to those who followed my page for all these years that I have never been a uh, big Trump fan. In fact, in 2016, I was a hashtag never Trump guy. Now, I was also a hashtag never Hillary guy, but uh, I just didn't see that either one of them were an acceptable choice uh, for president uh, of, of our country. But once uh, Trump uh, was declared the winner, I changed my attitude. Um, he was my president, technically, legally, and otherwise. And so I just started calling balls and strikes. So suddenly I was just hashtag bad Trump when I didn't like what he did. And I was hashtag good Trump when uh, he did something that I did approve of. And, and that's exactly the way I handled the last four years of his presidency. I still don't like the guy, but I did bring myself to vote for him uh, here back last November, simply because the choice on the other side was um, uh, unconscionable. 
what the Democratic Party has become, the neo-Marxists that uh, have completely infiltrated that po- that that party and uh, who I think are going to be pulling the levers and his puppet strings at least until his presidency is turned over to Kamala Harris. Um, it's just not something that I could support. And there was no viable third parties uh, at the time, none whatsoever. Excuse me here while I take a quick sip. So when the announcement was made uh, a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, whatever it was, that there was going to be a rally in uh, Washington on the 6th, I made the decision at that time to be there. And uh, it was very clear, posted all over my social media, that the only reason I was going was to uh, document and uh, capture on video and and uh, any other way possible uh, what I would witness at this particular event. Having no idea how many people would show up, if if many at all, it seemed to be even even at the outset, it seemed to be a very poorly put together and planned event. But uh, uh, but I was going to be there, and I knew quite a few people from all over the country that I you know am friends with, or associates with, or have acquaintances with that were going to be there as well. So at the very least, I was going to go and and enjoy myself in D.C. for the day, which is exactly what I did. <clears throat> Little did I know that the world would change that day in a significant way. I had been on a TPC road trip. That's what I called it, TPC Road Trip 2020. I called it that because, um, again, not having a job for the last 10 months, I thought I would just get out and meet the people that had been following um, my writings and and, uh, our our podcast for the last several years. And in so doing, I I made it to about 18 different states and and several cities. I had meetups with uh, TPC followers, and it was just just a great time for me, and it was uh, uh, was a good morale booster after, you know, wondering what I was going to do with my life for the last 10 months and also wondering when I'm going to get, be able to go back to work again. But none of that is in my hands, as we know. So with that in mind, one of the things that I said over and over while I was on that tour was that I believed that the world was going to change while I was out there and before I got home. I left on the day after Thanksgiving and I got home on New Year's Eve back to Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, the world didn't change while I was out there. I missed it by a week. One week later, uh, the world did change, and we've seen the aftermath of this, particularly with all of the deplatforming and the um, squashing of speech by uh, big tech. And um, uh, well, we all we're all, we're all reading the news. I don't need to go over any of this. I want to get to the heart of what the purpose of this particular podcast is for, which is for me to go down, and I'm just going to read. Uh, warts and all, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional broadcaster by any by any means. <clears throat> I haven't rehearsed this, and it's quite long. So there's going to be some uh, starts and stops. I'm going to miss a few words probably, and need to start over. I'm going to need to wet my whistle on occasion. But uh, for those of you that are here, thank you and hang with me. And I think you're going to be very interested because I've seen some things that I never expected to see in my lifetime, and I am going to give you the the accurate accounting of what I saw. And as I said, it's what I saw. And uh, well, let's just get started. Here we go. What I saw on January 6th in Washington, D.C. The morning began with a hearty breakfast at a Crystal City diner. I don't typically eat before noon, but my friend and I knew it was going to be a very long day on our feet. At about 9.15 a.m., we Ubered straight from the diner to the Washington Monument and began looking for a decent place to observe the proceedings. 
Already by 9.35, there was no real chance of making it anywhere close to the stage near the ellipse, uh, though we tried. The crowd was already immense, and we were at first caught in a crush of humanity so dense that we could barely move in any direction. We retreated back to the Washington Monument lawn. There was a satellite viewing screen and remote speakers, but we were two football fields length away from that screen. We took up position and waited. The crowd continued to grow until in every direction, as far as the eye could see, was a solid, teeming mass of humanity. Tens of thousands waved flags, banners, signs, and placards. Trump flags predominated, but every other patriotic symbol, including myriad versions of the Stars and Stripes, were also on display. Hundreds of Gadsden flags, pro-Second Amendment flags, and every manner of ethnic and nationality pro-Trump signs and banners. Of the last, the far most common were Chinese Americans who wielded signs that both supported Trump and condemned the CCP. Hmm. What do these people know? Just in my eyeshot alone, they numbered in the hundreds. Yes, I saw two Confederate flags among the thousands of others. Which have I seen the most often in MSM coverage since Wednesday? One guess there. I even heard an NPR lead storyline in which the anchor said the Capitol had been assaulted by white supremacists waving all manner of racist flags and signs. Of course, you know, to them, the American flag is a racist symbol. Way to go, NPR. True to form, focusing on the smallest minority of fringe wingnuts. They never seem to notice all the communist flags and hammer and sickle imagery flaunted at BLM marches or Antifa riots. First impressions of the preparedness of the event were not good. The most obvious being the lack of portable restroom facilities. I know a little bit about outdoor event planning, being in the music industry, and knew this was going to be a big problem. Additionally, the audiovisual preparation was less than third rate. The audio pregame and interlude music, as well as the voices of the early speakers, were going in and out with volume levels oscillating wildly. There was no electronic time delay between distant PA locations to compensate for the sound travel speeds, so it was often just a jumbled, unintelligible cacophony. Another of my friends later described the entire production of the event as having been put together by the Z team. Still, I've never witnessed anything like the size of the crowd. I've heard estimates ranging from 600,000 to 1.5 million. Of course, obviously, there's exaggerations of more, and then MSN um, uh, saying that there was many, many less. I'll go with something closer to the lower number of 600,000, but really, who can know? It was nonetheless breathtaking, and I couldn't stop taking it all in and videoing 360-degree panoramas of the entire scene. It was a windy and cold day, but not bitter. The wind whipped and uh, the wind whipped an endless sea of flags, uh, adding to the spectacle. The early speeches from the likes of Rudy Giuliani and Don Jr. were less than awe-inspiring and did nothing to warm up the crowd. Then, President Trump's appearance was an hour late. So we stood around listening uh, to many of the same songs over and over again, badly jumbled by the poor audio. I don't know who in the hell showed up with a playlist of so few songs. Anyway, shivering and legs stiffening from not being able to move around, we had time for some analytical conversation. My friend, being a widely published political writer himself, my first question to him during the long wait for Trump uh, to take the stage was, Are we looking at the power of the Trump cult or a sea of disaffected patriots seeking an answer to their frustrations with our government? 
He simply answered, a little of both. At another point, I mused, you know, this rally is on a Wednesday morning. Conservatives actually tend to go to work on weekdays, but hundreds of thousands of people have traveled from all over the country to be here. Do you think a significant percentage of these folks are currently employed, are currently unemployed because of COVID? He shrugged. Maybe they all believe Trump would this day finally unveil the Kraken, the long-hoped-for piece of evidence that was going to eradicate the phrase President-elect Joe Biden from the media's vocabulary. Well, it wasn't to be. No Kraken ever emerged from the depths of the deep state. Still, he tweeted this meetup was going to be wild, so here we were. Trump finally took the stage at 11.57, but from our vantage point, everything he had to say was garbled by the overlapping audio coming from unequally distant PA placements and the continuous volume dropouts. From what we could make out, it was not his finest speech or presentation. From a show business perspective, he did not rise anywhere to the occasion offered him by such a throng. A crowd size surely unprecedented for any non-inaugural presidential address in history. We were bored, cold, and needed to get our blood flowing, so we decided to make a move towards the Capitol building long before the president's ramble concluded. Winding and bumping our way through the sea of people, we finally emerged onto the boulevard with the Capitol directly in our sights and made a quick pace of the long walk. We weren't alone. Tens of thousands had the same idea and were headed in the same direction. At one particular intersection, I counted seven streets full of people marching toward Capitol Hill. I'll confess to being... Truly inspired at the sight of so many patriots about to make what surely would be a powerful visual statement to the oath-breaking criminals who, at that very moment, were debating the certification of the electoral votes. Not that it would ultimately matter to any of them, but damn, this might at least give them something to think about if they looked out their windows and saw so many flag-bearing patriots marching in their direction. My backpack was beginning to weigh rather heavy on my shoulders, loaded as it was with my camera tripod, microphone, cables, computer, and several bottles of water. The water, though, remained untouched once I assessed the woeful lack of porta potties. I brought all this with me in hopes of accomplishing my true intent of this trip, which was being, or which that being to record and document as much as possible, and maybe even get a few interviews from rally participants or uh, from any VIP upon whom I might chance. It's no secret to anyone who has followed my writings these past years that my early hashtag never Trump stance evolved into an ambivalent issue by issue, good Trump or bad Trump as deserved. My recent endorsement of his 2000 run came for two reasons. First, the Bolshevik Democratic Party machine is now a fully realized open neo-Marxist organization and they must be stopped. Also, no other third party had a chance in hell. Second, well, there was the wishful thinking that Trump, for all of his faults, and maybe because of them, would finally be exposing bringing down the deep state. Timelines are important at this point. I took one video of the Capitol building about two-thirds of the way from the Washington Monument. This was 1.10 p.m., which meant Trump's 70-minute speech was nearly over. But tens of thousands of people were already at the Capitol and more were on the move. As we arrived at the reflection pool in front of the Capitol, it was obvious something serious was already happening. We saw the fluorescent sleeve jackets of Capitol Hill uh, or Capitol police officers racing down the steps toward the first upper tier above street level. I looked at my friend and I told him we needed to see what was going on there. So we hurried our way to the stairs 
which I believe are on the house chamber side uh, of the building. At 1.19 p.m., I captured my first video of the melee, already fully underway, which was of a man and woman receiving first aid for pepper spray in their eyes. Both were on their knees and with other individuals pouring water on their faces and eyes, both in agony. This was my first such riot ever to see in person. Frankly, I was overwhelmed by the spectacle and certainly missed a lot of detail while taking in the bigger picture. One, t one detail I didn't miss was how many of the protesters were wearing gas masks. I saw it and even commented on that to my friend. But, it wasn't nearly, but I wasn't nearly ready to begin processing the ramifications of that reality as the violent action was unfolding in front of my, uh, my own human eyes. Capitol Police, some in riot gear, but many with no special protections at all, were already tightly lined up in defending the next level of the building access with only bike rack fencing between them and that portion of the mob attempting to break through. The police were using only non-lethal riot-controlled measures that we've seen far too much of post-George Floyd. Individual agitators would rush up and try to pull down a section of bike rack, get pepper sprayed, and retreat. Sometimes they would go in waves and try to push the police back. Sometimes the streams of pepper spray were actually coming from the mob directed at the police line. Many police officers were police officers were themselves having to retreat from the line to receive aid of some form or other as a result of the mob attacks. Pepper, pepper spray, God, I'm having a hard time with that word, pepper spray seemed the best deterrent for most trying to cross the barrier. But flashbangs and gas grenades were also in use. It was so windy, the gas had little effect. But if you were innocently downwind from one of those pepper streams, you were likely to get an unwanted dose. My friend and I tried to keep up with each other, but it was the uh, pepper, spray, pepper spray that permanently separated us for the remainder of the day. He'd taken eight or nine leeward doses and decided to take up an observation poise on the windward side of the action. I personally took only one direct hit. It was a splatter off the actual intended target to, to whom I was much too close, and that was enough for me. The rest of my time was spent operating the camera while keeping both eyes darting back and forth, um, locating those officers who were operating the spray guns. Unlike myself, many of those uh, present obviously came prepared for such a confrontation. From protective eye goggles to full gas masks, tactical helmets to protective vests, some even wearing full body armor. In fact, after poring over the video footage and seeing dozens of people in body armor, helmets, and gas masks, my mind woke to the reality, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that Trump did not incite this violence when he encouraged rally supporters to walk down to the Capitol after his speech. And that is a quote walk down to the Capitol. This assault was planned well in advance. The frontline attackers didn't even hear his speech. How could they? You'd have to accept the proposition that after hearing Trump tell them to move to the Capitol, they suddenly ran home through almost a million people, geared up, and got back to the Capitol before Trump even finished his rambling 70-minute talk. I'd left the rally long before the speech concluded, and when I arrived on scene, the scrum line was already fully engaged. I've seen video reports that protesters were arriving at the Capitol building as early as 8 a.m. and that the outer barricades were already breached as early as 9.30. Now, breached or opened by Capitol Police themselves, uh, that's for another discussion. I've spent many sleepless hours combing through all my videos. 
I am fully prepared to tell you with my original eyewitness assessment, or tell you that my original eyewitness assessment was tainted by my virgin riot observers' adrenaline of the moment. The crowd gathered at the level where the violent attacks were taking place, and it was overwhelmingly 90 to 95 percent flag-waving Trump supporters, but the hyper-violent, small minority were all too apparently prepared for exactly the type of non-lethal agitation we've seen, uh, we've witnessed in dozens of American cities during much of the latter part of uh, 2020. Pepper spray, tear gas, rubber bullets, and concussion grenades, no problem. Even more telling were the fully armored professional press photographers using very expensive gear, also already on the scene before Trump's speech was over. Some even had official-looking press credentials. Point being, they were already there, and they were geared up well in advance of Trump's alleged marching orders. Am I prepared to assign blame to any one political faction for what I've witnessed up close and personal? Absolutely not. I'm willing to wager there were at least three types of agitators present, two of which harbored premeditated intentions. There is no doubt in my mind that both extreme leftist and right-wing instigators were on the front line of this event. You may have heard of Michael Yon, uh, America's most experienced war correspondent. He describes those, provoca- those, those um, agitators as agent provocateurs, or AP. He describes such a scene thusly. This is a quote from Michael Yon. Those who control the megaphones can cleave off some portion of any crowd and direct it to do work. It's an old tactic. Anyone can learn agent provocateur tactics and run a crowd. Basic carnival work. Step right up. You there. Come here. Take social media as example. The APs are the owners. I'm going to go with the pro on that one. It was exactly what I was seeing. What the agent provocateurs know and the less experienced don't, is once they get the battle started, emotions, passions, and adrenaline begin heating up inside many of those protesters who never had any intention of participating and certainly didn't arrive prepared for violence. Hell, the vast majority of those close to the action hadn't even imagined such a thing was going to take place when they boarded a charter bus from Bumfudge, Iowa, in hopes Trump was going to work rhetorical Uh, electoral magic in the nation's capital on uh, January 6th. But engage in the battle scrum is exactly what many of those formerly peaceful protesters absolutely did. We saw this when the mob actions of the we saw this when the mob actions of the Minneapolis riots began to domino across the country. The difference being, they're not releasing pent-up anger over systematic or systemic racism, but against the systemic malfeasance that that's been emanating from that very building where they were now found themselves in the middle of a street brawl. Suddenly, those Capitol police were the very objects upon which to take out the frustration of progressively having their liberties taken away while trillions of their dollars were also taken and misused. Wasted on foreign aid, foreign wars, $800 toilet seats, and on the enrichment of the occupants of that building, who were at that very moment certifying an election which 99% of those assembled fully believed had been stolen from them. Add to that the loss of income from old untold numbers in that crowd due to COVID-19 lockdowns followed by the inability of congresspersons, who never lost their paychecks during these lockdowns, by the way, 
to provide a genuine relief package in which 75% of the spending was going to non-COVID foreign special interest payoffs. How about the near evisceration of the First Amendment in the last year? They can't go to work, can't go to church, can't assemble together in any other meaningful, meaningful format, and the very act of asking questions about the election integrity or offering opposing data on all things related to COVID lockdowns is now a reason to have our speech utterly revoked by big tech, while Congress does nothing with regards to Section 230. Yep, that can create some pent-up anger. Certainly some folks might have come itching for a fight, but the notion of this riotous crush to enter the Capitol building somehow being a coup d'etat or insurrection or sedition or domestic terrorism against the government of the United States is, to me, the height of laughable absurdity. Let me explain why. First of all, the only persons possessing deadly weapons, even real weapons of war, were the Capitol Police and the various other law enforcements that arrived to assist. As of this writing, only one arrested member of the coup was found to have a concealed handgun with only 25 rounds of ammunition. Now, there are media claims of gun caches stashed around the Capitol, but I've seen no such evidence uh, yet presented to validate that assertion. Another arrested was found to have a couple of weapons back in his automobile. Uh, that was many blocks away. The idea of a coup d'etat with no firearms to overthrow the most powerful government in the world in a building protected by snipers patrolling the rooftops and scores of other police on site, not to mention the many thousands of military troops within minutes of said building. I mean, come on, really? Still. The vast majority of the gathered crowd stayed far back from the fighting and the taunting. They just waved their flags and joined in chants of USA, USA, USA. Or uh, the other one was, whose house, our house, whose house, our house. They, they even sang the Star-Spangled Banner at one point. There was no rocket's red glare, but there were plenty of flashbangs and smoke to stir the patriotic emotions, I suppose. More and more of their rally attendees became too curious to stay away from the action and joined the crowd on the upper level. I could see obvious signs uh, of what might otherwise clearly be Antifa uh, or the Black Bloc, as we've known them, pros when it comes to rioting. Um, but the problem was is most of them were wearing Trump uh, memorabilia or, or logos or, or gear of some type. But these individuals were geared up in riot gear as well and slyly acknowledging each other before making their next moves. I caught and captured quite a bit of that on video. By contrast, I watched one MAGA hat wearer bend down and retrieve a pipe, which could be used as a weapon, and he actually handed it over to one of the growing number of police on the bike rack line, uh, which rendered it inaccessible to the mob. There are teenagers and 70-year-olds pressing forward and being repelled by pepper spray. One lady is wearing a full-body American flag Trump jumpsuit uh, with what looks like also a laboratory-grade or hazmat-type um, face mask. It made no sense to my mind at all, except that there's a handbook for this type of deception, and the concept of false flag has never been more literally on display than what I'm seeing this day. Reinforcements have arrived, and the police line is now two and three layers deep, all the way across. It's 
1.33 p.m., and at that level of the Capitol exterior, uh, it's now crushingly packed with people. At that time, I'm beginning to notice action on the other side of the platform that would soon most occupy my interest. The more creative element of the insurgents and agents provocateur were uh, taking position inside the scaffolding structure and trying to make their way uh, around the police line. The scaffolding and the canvassing around it provided better protection uh, from the pepper spray and less ability of the police force to prevent forward progress. Eventually, this strategy and area of attack became the focal point of the more experienced rioters, rioters, and they were encouraging the easily recruited to join them in their endeavor, so vigorously waving to the crowd for additional bodies to help with the ascent up through the bleacher scaffolding. At 1.49 p.m., much more heavily rioted, riot gear uh, suited police began to arrive, while at the same time other police began running up two more levels in the direction where, ostensibly, from what I could tell, those working their way up through the scaffolding might have emerged on the top side. At this point, I now work my way over to a position directly under that scaffolding where the canvas has been ripped away and from which I could see a swarm of bodies attempting to push and climb their way up through a maze of support piping. Others hung from the exterior, waving and encouraging more people to join them. Meanwhile, there are moments of absolute chaos behind the police line as they try to figure out from which direction the next surge is coming and are constantly having to retreat uh, themselves to, to treat their own uh, from chemical agents and dangerous, dangerous objects being hurled in their direction. Way up above, the snipers just watch from the edge of the roof, just chatting amongst themselves. It, it, it was surreal. Many times I see and hear older protesters, mostly military veterans, They'd come up to the police line to engage in civil pep talks, as it were, with individual officers about their constitutional duties and oaths. This happened quite often. More police arrive and more forceful, uh, and more forceful countermeasures were employed. At 1.53, the uh, guy we've seen on television a lot, the QAnon shaman or the Viking dude who was... Uh, He's popped up in my uh, camera lens at various locations uh, since I had arrived. Has now he's made his way up to the scaffolding ascent entrance. By two o'clock, the scaffolding is totally packed with people pressing forward and upper upward. Many climbing, but for the first time, I can now see what appears to be a staircase under that canvas framework. One video frame reveals several individuals full tactical gear, and a variety of militia patches um, on their uniforms, as it were, making their way up that staircase. And yes, I said militia. Slowing the video down to one frame at a time reveals an unbelievable amount of data, but then requires many questions to also be asked. Yes, you can see raised fist by some adorned in all black, but you also see that okay symbol being waved by some in camouflaged tactical gear. Two very uh, disparate groups, Antifa and Trump-supporting militia. Are they working together or both just looking for a fight in the most obvious place du jour? While the Proud Boys might seek out Antifa and, Antifa and vice versa on Main Street USA, here on Capitol Hill, they appear to have similar objectives. Or do they? I, I just don't know. Maybe one simply revels in anarchic chaos, while the other thinks they are on a mission from God. 
Either way, those snipers up above could end this whole thing by taking out a couple of the uh, agent provocateur count carnival barkers from either or both teams that they were coming from. The attempted ascent up Capitol Hill would surely come to an end, but a hundred people might die in the ensuing stampede to get off the building. At 2.03, a loudspeaker begins to roll this dystopian pre-recorded message warning that anyone remaining in the area was now subject to arrest and that riot control agents and impact weapons were going to be employed. The number of flash grenades launched into the crowd began increasing, and serious heavies from the Metropolitan Police arrived and began taking the fight actually into the middle of the crowd. This was now the heaviest sequence of violence that I captured all day. People were genuinely getting hurt. Then, inexplicably, at 2.15 p.m., the staircase under the scaffolding became a free-flowing mass of humans just moving upwards, completely unimpeded. The violence on my level stopped, and everyone began moving up the stairs. So I decided to join in the flow. At 2.17 p.m., I emerged on the next upper terrace outside, which is actually the main floor of the Capitol building itself. People are coming up by the scores and then ultimately by the hundreds. Exuberant at the sight of tens of thousands of protesters as they looked down on the streets below, people were cheering, smiling, taking selfies, waving flags, and the police were now they were standing off to the side, no longer even interfering with the crowd's passage through an open door directly into the Capitol building. Armed police officers are now idly just chatting amongst themselves, completely ignoring the crowd, and in my interpretation, they had obviously been given orders to stand down. Again, just totally surreal. It's like some sort of switch was thrown between the lower and upper levels. Chaos and anger below, and now celebration above. Why? What was going on? In another published video, not one of my own, there is a door that is seen to be actually opened by police officers themselves, with a lineup of more than 20 Capitol Police standing off to the side, offering no resistance to the incoming crowd. One of the protesters is actually heard saying, they're going to lock us in, which is not an unwarranted suspicion in such a surreal moment. But why did they let them in? Make no mistake, the building which represents the seat of power to the most powerful country in the world was now being occupied by an unarmed group of mostly passive and curious participants who had only been witnesses to a scene that was played out before them by a very small group of both leftist and right-wing militant forces, also mostly unarmed, against an ever-growing police presence that had the weaponry to stop this entire charade in a matter of seconds. Yes, charade. Theater. Things are not as they seem. And things are not remotely to the narrative being Things are not remotely close to the narrative being cast by the mainstream media, which since last Wednesday afternoon, and, and I have the video to prove it. Or maybe they simply didn't want to kill anyone. Looking out the windows and seeing tens of thousands of people who might be, might be willing to join the scrum, 
And it was just best to throw the doors open and let the common folks revel in a measure of victory and enjoy a free selfie tour through the Capitol. I don't know. Who knows? These are just questions that are crossing my mind and still are. Personally, I live by a handful of axioms. The first and most important is this. There's the world we want versus the world in which we actually live. That one alone guides my pragmatism. Then there's this. If the New York Times, CNN, and NPR don't cover it, then it never happened. Also, if that same cabal of mainstream media outlets decides to create something out of thin air, then it becomes some version of an Orwellian truth and quintessentially, uh, as we've learned to call it, fake news. Well, I now have a new axiom uh, after this last week. Here it is. The one thing you can, uh, sorry, I'll start over. The only thing you can trust right now is what you see with your own eyes. But even then, go back and review the video. At this point, at least 100 people begin filing up a long wheelchair ramp that leads to the now open door into the Capitol building. I see a couple of young professionals wearing neckties, uh, dress overcoats, and red MAGA hats. Those two are followed by another two guys who look like they're about to go deer hunting with camo Trump hats and flags. Coming from somewhere, I hear another warning voice, somebody shouting, I don't like it. I don't like it. Again, that's somebody thinking ahead. I take my place in the line of smiling faces, which are calmly headed up the ramp. Loud chants of our house, our house can be heard coming from those already inside the building. When I reach the door, which swings open towards the outside, I notice both panes of glass are shattered, like you know, spiderwebbed, but they're not broken. There were no holes through which to reach in and unlock the door. Someone had to have opened that door from the inside. In one particular still frame of my video, I can see the entire upper half of the door's outer edge, and there are no pry marks. As I pass through the doorway, I'm in the middle of a large group of reveling Trump supporters, none of whom had the marks of battle from down below. Yet, someone had already been up there moments before and shattered those glass panes, and someone else had opened the door from the inside to let them in. Just as I enter, two militia-looking guys in tactical gear uh, are watching people entering uh, from my left. On my right is a guy in black tactical gear. I only caught this uh, one on my frame-by-frame -frame review of the video. I take a right into the crowd hallway of Trump supporters chanting, USA, 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 and back to my frame-by-frame, I see a tall, long-bearded man in olive green clothing and a toboggan with no Trump labels at all, and he's moving against the flow of traffic carrying a very long hardwood stick with a grip, uh, grip tape on the end. This is no flagpole. This is for breaking stuff or breaking heads. I actually ended up recognizing him uh, from one of the FBI photos. I'm hearing all kinds of chants. Stop the steal. Our house. USA. Those chants continue. People are hugging each other, and hundreds of cell phone cameras are variously capturing the celebrations or the, you know, the majesty of the building's surroundings. 
as I enter one of the, the um, statuaries <clears throat> inside the Capitol building, certain characters are making sure that their faces and their eyes remain fully covered. And at the very entrance of the larger room, one of the carnival barkers from the scaffolding uh, earlier is now waving people into the room while joining in to the Our House, Our House chant. There's actually no reason for him to be doing this because the celebrants are already willfully on the move. They're coming in. I just assume this must be his assigned job as an agent provocateur. Additionally, on multiple occasions, those in full tactical gear with faces and eyes still obscured, though now indoors, can be seen, even young women in tactical gear. More than 100 people are packed into this one room, but there's no police presence whatsoever. There's more chants and celebrations, but stop the tape. Frame by frame, I see four very serious men in a huddle. One is in a green tactical helmet, and he has his head on a swivel and is looking back and forth, while an older, very serious man is wagging his finger in the face of someone wearing a black helmet as a fourth man was right beside him with his face and eyes covered. With each passing frame, is it it's obvious the black helmet guy is getting a good rebuke for something. Uh, and I wonder to myself, is this rebuke coming from his commander? Eventually, the black helmet turns, I'm sorry, the, the black helmet lowers his head and turns in my camera's direction. It's the body language of someone that's just uh, been <laughs> just been chewed out by a superior. When I see his face, it's a young 20-something. None of those four were wearing Trump logo. At 2.31 p.m., I entered the huge Capitol Rotunda. By this time, the initial surge of bodies was spreading through the building, so it was a much thinner group than in the larger hall. It looked like a normal day of tourism uh, in the nation's capital. People were calmly milling about, taking photos and videos as on any other day. I mean, except for the jubilant shouting of, this is our house. Uh, there was no violence, no looting, no damage. And at 2.34 p.m., I came upon the entrance to the Speaker of the House Chambers, Nancy Pelosi's office. No one is entering that particular office hallway, but there's a crush of dozens who were exiting. So, wanting to see what was going on, I made an attempt to go against the oddly singular flow of traffic exiting, uh, but there were just too many bodies and too tight a hallway uh, for me to get through. Stop the tape again. In the next frame-by-frame -frame examination, I see three very interesting persons emerge from the, the next office doorway forward and to my left. One was a 50-something gentleman wearing drab green sport jacket. He was leading two military-garbed men in full face-covering gas masks and black helmets. There is no gas in this area. There's another group of suspiciously attired individuals moving into the hallway from other offices. Everyone is leaving the House Speaker's chambers, and I'm still the only person going against the flow. I should tell you now that I'll be offering a subsequent frame-by-frame -frame analysis of this particular encounter and a follow-up to this story. At this point, I come upon the 
first open door of someone's office and I see overturned chairs and a table, a bookshelf that's been rifled through and papers scattered everywhere. This was the first damage and or looting that I had encountered in my few minutes now inside the uh, Capitol building. I immediately decided it best not to proceed further and turned back toward the chamber's entrance. As I exited, a handful of protesters were breaking into pieces a wooden sign with Nancy Pelosi's name and, and they were passing them out and keeping the pieces of that sign as souvenirs. This was also the first um, overt destruction of capital property that I, I've witnessed. I'm now back into this growing, larger press of bodies that are moving their way through statu uh, Statuary Hall and, and then toward the House Chamber, where the election debates had been taking place. Most are staying within the rope line, and as they calmly move through the hall, no one is wreaking any kind of havoc or damage. And emerging into the hallway that leads to the House chamber door, protesters are chanting very loud, Stop the steal! Stop the steal! Of the roughly 100-plus people pressing toward the chamber, chamber door, there are 95% Trump supporters. They're still carrying their flags and banners and their signs, with only the occasional more shady-looking characters with uh, faces fully obscured and not participating in the chant. They are intent on the chamber's occupants hearing their protests. I maneuver to the side of the wide hallway where I can get away from the crush. People are now banging and pressing against the chamber door. I shut my camera off um, while I climb up on a bench to get better vantage, but then while I'm doing this, all hell breaks loose. There's shouts of tear gas, and uh, the crowd reverses direction, now running back the other way. With my camera off, I miss the opportunity of capturing this episode. At 2.46, I start recording again. But by this time, only a few stragglers remain in this hall near the chamber door. The dissipating gas is clearly seen, still obscuring the chamber door, and I begin moving in that direction right into the tear gas. It was at this very moment when a particular photo was captured, and it was used in a market watch story online where I actually can be seen from behind walking into that gas cloud. Uh, my backpack, uh, my camera pri uh, tripod, my black jacket and jeans, I was wearing a red Yorktown um, ball cap and you can see my long hair out the back. But my face is not seen as I'm walking away from that particular shot. One of the men in that photo is actually in the FBI search list, and in the FBI photo, my back is visible, uh, even on all the uh, sites where this uh, photo lineup is being published. I pause for a moment, waiting for the gas to dissipate further, then begin moving toward the chamber door itself. I can now see that quite a few people are still gathered at the chamber door. Tactical gear militia, some Trump supporters a few shady-looking guys, and three Capitol Police are still in the area. The police are not engaging with the protesters at all, but they're chatting with each other. Then they turn and start walking away from those remaining that were bunched up at the house, door, uh, house chamber door. I thought that was odd that with people still trying to either enter or press through the chamber door that the only three police officers present would begin moving the other direction. It was rather odd. Something else now has their attention. There's a definitive mood change. 
As the tear gas dissipates, celebration now turns to tension. I follow the police officers, and we pass a camouflaged man with a fire extinguisher at his feet. Hmm. He seems to be struggling from the tear gas. One of the three officers break away to assist him, but I keep walking. Right at the doorway of the House Ways and Means Committee room, police officers are gathering, and several protesters are hurriedly retreating. It's now 2.46 p.m. I encounter, at this time, the very first officer I've seen to be carrying an automatic rifle. Some protesters are blocking a doorway into a large staircase lobby area. I push past them and see several police with handguns drawn. You can cut the tension with a knife. They are now holding protesters back, using their drawn weapons for emphasis. Though the passageway, or through the passageway on the other side of the staircase uh, lobby, I can actually see protesters lying prostrate on the floor. At least five officers have their weapons drawn. One protester on my side tries to enter the area, and he's aggressively ordered back. Believe me, everything has changed from when we first entered the building. One policeman is panting furiously. I'm pretty concerned at this point. I ask him, are you going to use this gun on us? And he responds, if one of you have a gun, and I interrupted him and I said, look, none of us have a gun. We, we have cameras. He actually nods and calms down. Then he says, I, I'm trying to explain what's going on. It's, it's, it's not us. We've got reports of shots fired. And I'm breaking from what I wrote here because this is also a very odd moment. The Capitol Police officer is trying to explain to me and to a couple of others that are gathered there that the problem that's going on right now, it's not us. I mean, he, he didn't even see us as a problem. Let me say what his exact quote is I captured on the video. Let me say that again. I'm trying to explain what's going on. It's not us. We've got reports of shots fired. I can now see ATF police in full tactical gear in the stairway lobby. It's complete turmoil, and the police radio chatter is loud and confused coming from several radios. They're all receiving different signals and commands from their various agencies. The third floor, the third floor, we need you on the third floor, blares across one radio as a Capitol cop suddenly races up the stairs. Just then, an ATF agent raises his rifle up the stairs, and I see a lone protester carrying an American flag descending those stairs. Uh, They give him a quick pat down and then send him out of the area. This particular group of Capitol Police officers are clearly harried. I recognize a couple of them, actually, from outside on the scrum line I'd encountered earlier. Some are covered in white powder. One is using a, a face mask to try and clear his eyes. They've already been through the ringer. One of those officers is particularly nervous. His gun is held tightly to his horse torso in the ready position with his eyes darting back and forth. He's nervous or scared as hell. He's the only one I'm worried about. The rest seem in control of their emotions at this point. I keep my gaze squarely in the direction, uh, or in his direction, for some time. Another radio blast. We need assistance on... I can't understand... And then I hear, to assist with triage. Let me say that again. We need assistance on, jumbled noise, to assist with triage. Suddenly, over two dozen Capitol Police officers uh, emerge 
uh, from downstairs on the other side of the lobby to assist with clearing out the large number of pro protesters remaining in that adjacent hallway. It's now 2.53 p.m. I just overheard an elderly man ask a female officer if there was a public restroom in the area. She said she didn't know because this was a, a part of the building where she rarely worked. She pointed him downstairs. And to be honest with you, it's now been over six hours since I'd been to a restroom. And I may not have even thought about it had I not heard a conversation about a restroom. But now nature was suddenly calling. I turned off my camera and headed down the same staircase. My biggest regret of the day, though, was having stopped recording at that moment. At the bottom of the stairs, I was alone. I was looking around for any sign of public accommodations. Then suddenly, a very young, short female Capitol Police officer took me by my right arm and said, Sir, can I lead you safely out of the building? I looked down at her and I said, do, do I need to be led safely out? She said, yes, sir. Please let me lead you safely out. I complied and we began walking toward an exterior door. And this is on the first floor of the building. She was actually shaking. She was very nervous as she gripped my arm. Then she repeatedly asked me the oddest question as we walked together. Do you feel safe? Yes. Then she asked again, Sir, do you feel safe? Again. Do you feel safe? I'm fine. Do you feel safe? I asked. She looked up at me and said, No. It dawned on me that she was actually trying to keep my eyes and attention on her. But there was a great commotion immediately to my left, and it was then that I turned my head to see, only six feet from me, a team of police working feverishly to resuscitate, some, resuscitate someone who was bleeding profusely um, about their head and face. I look at the officer and said, did she get shot? Yes. Why did they shoot him? He pulled a gun on us. Now, we both said he, and we both said him. She didn't know it was a he or a she either. The person receiving emergency care was shirtless at this as they aggressively pumped on, on the chest. But with the various hands and arms of the attending officers obscuring my view, I couldn't see that it was actually a female. She led me to the door. We opened it, and she says, Please be safe. I exit uh, just as an EMT crew were racing a gurney up the walk ramp and through the same door. I now found myself outside the Capitol building, but inside a police line and barricades. I'm inside the police line and no one is paying attention to me, so I position myself outside that door to capture whatever would happen next. At exactly 2.59 p.m., I restart my camera. It's now aimed directly at that um, first floor door directly below the House of Representatives chamber. Police officers are just calmly strolling past me, even though I'm inside their barricade. None of them um, even bothered me or attempted to move me outside their bike racked perimeter. 33 seconds later, the doors swing open. 28 more seconds pass, and I see the gurney, which was preceded by several heavily armed officers. 
I followed the cart down this long ramp of videoing all the way. Not until they reached the bottom of the ramp past these three or four huge pillars and into unrestricted view am I able to clearly see the bloodied face and bare breast of a woman as an EMT continued pumping furiously on her chest. In that very instant, I knew she was already gone. I decide to exit the police barricade. Then I follow the woman's blood trail down the sidewalk. For some reason, uh, none of this is affecting my emotions. Not yet. After almost two hours of stimulus overload since first coming upon the riotous battle lines, I'm running on automatic. I've even forgotten my recent need for a restroom. I've long since lost track of my friend, and uh, cell signal bandwidth is almost impossible to find. But at 3.03 p.m., I managed to get a text out to my friend. This is exactly what I typed. Shots fired, civilian down, I saw her getting CPR. She's not going to make it. At this point, I'm clues. At this point, I'm clueless as to where to go or what specifically to look for. I just keep running video and capturing images on the other side, uh, the east side of the Capitol building, where I'm now uh, finding myself. Here, protesters are still gathered in numbers much smaller uh, than on the west side, um, still by the thousands, though. It's also infinitely more calm. There's no skirmish line, no violence that I can see. I have no idea what might have transpired on this side of the uh, building earlier, if anything. Shortly after sending that particular text, mine and everyone else's phones uh, started getting emergency alerts from the D.C. mayor who has announced that a citywide curfew is now in place from 6 p.m. that night until 6 a.m. the next morning. At this point, I'm going to end this, the actual timeline narrative of my day. I did uh, go on and capture more video. I did an interview, actually, with a WUSA 9, the D.C. Uh, CBS affiliate station. Uh, they distilled over about 30 minutes of material that they took from me in, in terms of uh, interview conversation and uh, footage that I shared with them. Uh, which they chop-edited completely out of context statements from myself, and they made me look like a radical. Uh, but they used some of my video footage, uh, creating uh, or crediting me on the 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock news, uh, and I guess that uh, officially secured my status as a citizen journalist. I eventually walked about a half mile from the Capitol and found a sandwich, lot, a sandwich shop with a long line of uh, two restrooms. An elderly gentleman in front of me was in obvious pain. He couldn't hold out any longer, and he suddenly created a large puddle of urine on the floor of the sandwich shop. And he was actually up next. The bathroom was his turn next. My heart broke for him in his embarrassment. But it had been a long day for all of us. I ordered a sandwich, and uh, someone from uh, WUSA called me back. One of their anchors asked if I would do a Zoom interview with him. I had all my gear with me, so why not? I set up my tripod on the sidewalk and made the connection, and he began asking questions. He was very nice, uh, appreciative of my effort to accommodate, and seemed sincerely uh, interested in what I'd seen and had to say. The next morning, he narrated two pieces using my video. One was just the video with credits, video by Steve Baker, courtesy of Steve Baker. The next was another hatchet piece, 
15 minutes of interview added to just a couple of, again, out-of-context sentences. His commentary in his piece was condescending toward me and designed to, frankly, make me look like a fool. Self-proclaimed citizen journalist, he scoffed. Yeah, well, I got better video than did your pros, and, and you even wanted more of mine, so... Bastard. Darkness was now set. Darkness had now set on the city, and I walked back to the Capitol. There's that curfew at 6 uh, p.m. coming up. Let me pause right here for a second because I hit the wrong button on my screen. Now I have to find where I am again on my dialogue. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, as I said, not. Not set up for a pro um, broadcast right now in the, my current location. I haven't been home yet since D.C., by the way, so I, six days. I, I left with two days of clothing, by the way, and unfortunately I'm where there's a uh, washer and dryer, so I don't, uh, I don't smell. Start back where I was. Darkness is now set on the city, and I walked back to the Capitol. There's that curfew at 6 p.m., but the rumors were that Antifa would be causing more problems after dark. As soon as I arrived, long lines of riot troops were beginning to form and clear the entire property of remaining protesters. Fewer than a couple hundred uh, were still there from my vantage point, at least on the side of the capital where I uh, had returned. And actually, they weren't even... They weren't even protesting at this point. It was, it was very uh, much more like a peaceful vigil at this time. Someone had even set up a portable PA system, and they were playing old protest songs. I even heard, all we are saying is give peace a chance. There was no protesting, no demonstrations, no violence, but the assembled police forces were having no part of that particular vigil and began aggressively pushing people further and further away from the building. They'd established a perimeter, uh, then more reinforcements would arrive, and then they would extend that perimeter. Maryland police, D.C. City police, Metro police, unidentified troops in full riot gear, and even the FBI showed up. Eventually, both the Army and Air Force National Guard arrived with full body-length shields and nightsticks. They'd push, form a new line, then they'd push back some more, Eventually, they had pushed everyone well past the Capitol property itself, but they continued to push. They wanted the, the, the crowd at least a block or two away. There were still a few guys carrying bullhorns, and these guys were uh, lecturing the cops and the National Guard uh, on their constitutional duties and their right to disobey unconstitutional orders. That went on during this entire process from several people. Some international news crews are still in location doing live reports with the troops and capital in the, the background. I heard German, Chinese, Spanish, and a couple other languages I couldn't make out. Antifa were long gone and didn't return for a late-night skirmish, so about an hour after curfew, I uh, walked far enough past all the closed roads uh, to order my Uber back to the hotel. Despite all I saw that day, my... I just have to say my pragmatic patriotism remains intact no matter what conflicts I might now have in my own mind uh, during the processing of everything that I experienced. I still live by there's the world we want versus the world in which we actually live, and we have to 
behave thusly. But it's becoming much more difficult to keep emotions in check. Yay, pragmatic. That's because when we see the accelerated elimination of our civil rights, the fact that they've eviscerated the First Amendment during COVID lockdowns, no gatherings, no church, no bars, no water cooler, chat at work. When they begin to delete our posts on social media that question the narrative of the disease as presented by government, yes, government leftists and big tech's technocratic cartel begin silencing voices uh, with fact-checker warnings, content blocks, reach-throttling, suspensions, and deplatforming. Hypocritical mayors, governors, and other bureaucrats by the hundreds have been caught on video engaging in activities which they strictly forbade us to do because of COVID-19. They were participating in indoor dining, travel, family holiday celebrations, hair salon visits, and far too many other uh, normal activities to recount, which we were not allowed to do. With our own eyes, we saw vote counting suspended in Georgia because of an alleged water pipe break. After all GOP poll watchers were cleared, suitcases full of ballots were retrieved from under tables and added to the tally. Now, if we but mention that, which we've seen with our own eyes, we are being accused of instigating the violence that occurred in D.C. last Wednesday. They are comparing our speech to that of shouting fire in a crowded theater. Well, i got news for you. If there is fire in a crowded theater... I'm going to be the one screaming effing fire. We're frustrated. We're mad as hell. We've been pointed. We've been pointing out the slippery slope uh, more in the last ten months than, than in the rest of our lifetimes combined. But now, suddenly, after the election in January six, that slippery slope is a greased uh, triple black diamond ice slope. Liberty itself is in freefall. But. Does any of that justify the violence on Wednesday? Mm. Excuse me. The violence and property destruction was not a protected First Amendment activity, as was often and hypocritically argued by the left during the 2020 BLM riots. Some will argue that it was inspired and justified by Uh, certain founding father quotes. And that may or may not be a fair debate, but certainly it's not a valid legal argument in the world in which we live. The rally itself, the march to Capitol Hill, the peaceful assembly by hundreds of thousands was absolutely protected by the First Amendment, stolen election or not. Yet, the MSM, MSM uh, the politicians on both sides of the aisle, big tech, and now many other crony corporatists are allowing no distinction between the 99.9% of those who did nothing but wave flags and chant USA and sing the national anthem and that less than one-tenth of 1% who engaged in varying levels of violence, destruction, and looting. Remember that phrase, mostly peaceful protest? After streets full of buildings had been burned and looted. Okay, I'm, I'm going to both concede the math and the accurate use of that word, mostly. I do believe that most of the BLM protesters did not participate in criminal behavior. That said, 
Not a single one of those post-George Floyd, mostly peaceful protests came anywhere near the size of the Stop the Steal rally last Wednesday. I was there. I have it all on video. I can tell you that those doing violence and causing mayhem were a fractionally smaller number than it in any BLM rally in 2020. Therefore, if we're going to be consistent, fair, and throw off all garments of hypocrisy, the January 6th protest in D.C. was a more mostly peaceful protest, by the math, than any of the other protests so deemed by the mainstream media in 2020, period. Unfortunately, though, just as it is with COVID-19, the left could care less about the math. With a 99.8% survival rate as an average across all age groups, they are still locking us down. And those lockdowns apply to both our jobs and our speech now. The math matters not, so they're just eliminating both. I might as well go ahead and mention right now that every single action that I personally engaged in on January 6th was legal and within the protection of the Bill of Rights. My stated purpose for going to D.C., as posted on all of my social media platforms well in advance, was to observe and document the events of the day. I didn't throw a brick. I didn't break a pane of glass. I kept kicked open no doors. I assaulted no police officers. I didn't charge upon any barricade or so much as touch any item inside the Capitol building. But once the breach was accomplished and in certain places, as the doors were opened by police themselves and crowds began pouring in, the story that I was following had moved to the inside, and I did just as I did on the outside. I got as close to what was happening as possible to observe and document. I entered peaceably, under no constraint from any authority whatsoever, and then I exited peaceably at the very first request to do so by a Capitol Police officer. So... My final conclusions, assessments, predictions. Oh, sure, why not? The video I posted on the evening of the 6th contained an observation that later needed some modification after reviewing my, all of my hours of videos. I'd said that most of the violence I saw was coming from Trump supporters, though Antifa was certainly in the crowd. That observation still holds true, mostly. But I am now prepared to amplify my suggestions of the levels of culpability from both sides. I don't care if you like it or not, but I'm not going to tell, uh, but I'm only going to tell the truth of what I actually saw. First of all, there were a significant number of God and guns, military, uh, I'm sorry, God and guns, American militia members who came ready and willing to knock heads and push boundaries. No question. They came without their guns this time. Their God, eh, not so sure about that. Many did come with full body armor. They were wearing radios. They had organization, premeditation, and planning. Like it or not, guys, those of you on the right, those of us who are patriots, those guys were there and they were there in number. 
There were also a significant number of retired American servicemen uh, also getting involved in the mayhem. Whether this was by design or they just got caught up in the moment, I saw veterans of all ages giving it and taking it on the barricade lines. Even some really older guys wearing like parts of their old uniforms or something that looked uh, of the sort. And these guys were taking direct shots of pepper spray and police batons, but they were in the middle of the fray. There were also far too many formerly peaceful protesters who were drawn into the front lines of the scrum by the carnival barkers or agent provocateurs of the very visible Antifa presence. Antifa were there in much greater numbers and had far more impact than I first realized. But they were still far outnumbered by the Trump supporters who either planned uh, for confrontation or were simply caught up in the moment. Let's be perfectly clear. This was a planned event. Reports state that early groups of people were staging at the Capitol as early as 8 a.m. As I mentioned, one congresswoman tweeted that she saw large numbers of protesters gathering outside at 9.30 a.m. Trump did not take the stage down at the Ellipse until 11.57. And he didn't finish the speech until 1.11 p.m. Long before Trump concluded, the initial breaching of outer barricades had begun. Some were deliberately pushed over by antagonists who arrived early. I've seen the video. But we've also seen video of one Capitol policewoman open a gate, and then she enthusiastically was waving protesters up to the next Capitol level. We've seen a couple of other videos of uh, officers opening gates as well. Now, depending upon your location at the rally back down in the Ellipse area by the uh, White House, the walk to the Capitol could be anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes at normal pace. When I arrived at the reflection pool, it was obvious the battle was already fully engaged on that particular side of the building. I was there. I was videotaping at 1.19 p.m. This was not spontaneous. This was not the result of incitement by Trump or Giuliani. The players in this particular spectacle were already geared up, suited up, and had taken on their assigned roles long before Trump even hit the stage. Antifa had their megaphones, gas masks, shields, and their medics already positioned. The militia guys, many of whom were outfitted in top-of-the-line tactical gear, were there in equal number. Professional and amateur camper crews were also already there. They themselves already suited up for frontline war zone coverage. So, who planned this? Were the good old boy militias in cahoots with Antifa? Was this a military psyop operation? Were the Capitol Police working with either or both sides? Did Trump's team orchestrate this? Did the Dems do this? Well, let's start here. Let me ask you a question. Whose image, public racial, public racial, <laughs> whose image and public relations, as it were, was most damaged by this event. Let me ask you another one. Whose voices are now being silenced following this event? If your answers were, or are, those on the American right, 
you'd be correct. So unless this was a feint within a feint, uh, otherwise known as a 90 Trump chess move uh, by intention or luck, the incoming Democratic juggernaut won this particular day in a walkover. I still have far too many questions myself, and I trust no one in government uh, will give us truthful answers. Not the Dems, not the GOP, certainly not the FBI. In fact, I trust no one right now, full stop. I find it difficult to even trust myself right now. Even purposefully staying out of the fray on Wednesday, I could feel and relate to the heat, the anger, the passion being directed at the occupants of that Capitol building. Why? Because the occupants are all liars. They're power mongers. They, they do not care about us, and they put their own interests and prosperity above those of the American people. They are deliberately spending us into inevitable economic collapse, and they're chipping away at more and more of our individual rights with each passing year. In fact, in the last 10 months alone, that has accelerated exponentially. I cannot count on my own two hands the number of Congress creeps I respect after this past year. I am a man who has had his career and income completely stripped away. And no one in that building came to my rescue. Or to help the millions of others just like me in similar circumstances. I've never been a part of MAGA. But because my voice proceeds from the right side of the political spectrum, I'm now taking the same abuse you know, social media and elsewhere, from the left as the most ardent of Trumpophiles. I just know what I saw. I saw bad people doing bad things. I saw good people doing bad things. I saw good people doing good things, trying to help others from getting hurt or breaking stuff. I also saw and videoed some things I can't yet share. I've been advised not to, uh, frankly, for my own protection. Why? Because I was told not to trust anyone right now. In the first WUSA Channel 9 interview, I was asked if I supported what I saw. I said, in their short little clip, yes, 100%. What they left out was, is that I don't support the senseless violence and death but I do support the spirit of resistance against an oppressive state, even if it's misplaced and misapplied on that day. The news crew's camera placement had me framed with the Capitol Dome uh, right behind me over my shoulder. So I turned my head, I pointed over my shoulder, and I said to the reporter, I said, there's a darkness in that building. And what happened today may have just been a test run. The next time, they may return far better prepared. Something like a million gun march of sorts. And if they come back in the same numbers, there's no way they can be stopped. I also said, we may have heard the first shot today. The reporter responded, literally. Well, they didn't use that exchange on the 11 o'clock news. Thanks for taking your time with me today. And uh, I hope that you will share this. I hope that uh, you will join us on our uh, various uh, social media <laughs> platforms as, for as long as they exist. 
under current circumstances. And um, we're still on Facebook, believe it or not. Uh, we're still on YouTube. Um, we, we've never done much on Twitter. Uh, but we are creating a central hub on Dave Rubin's uh, new platform, locals.com. Uh, so if you go to the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com, you can fire, uh, find us there. And um, it's free to join. You can, you can subscribe and follow uh, TPC on locals.com without paying anything. Um, but there is a paywall to like contribute, to talk, and, and that, that's there for a purpose. That's you know, to keep the trolls out. Um, but uh, for those that do uh, support uh, TPC, and it's only $5 a month is if you actually support um, our initiatives, then you're going to get exclusive content as well. Over the next few days, we're going to be editing down some of this video and presenting that. And, and more than likely, Locals is going to be the central hub for that. It's certainly going to be the central uh, and only location for some of the exclusive uh, content that we pull out, some of the really slow stop you know, frame by frame things that I want to really, really drill down and show some of you guys. So that you're going to find that there. So please go to the pragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com and uh, join us there and uh, stay tuned over the next few days I am uh, finally going to go home and I'm finally going to see what comes <laughs> as a result of that as you know there's a lot of reports about uh, even just normal you know touristy people wandering the halls of capital uh, that are going to be arrested and charged with trespassing they're talking about today um, uh, the FBI said that they're going to be making hundreds of arrests. Now, most of those who have been charged up to this point have been charged with simple uh, trespassing, uh, but obviously they're really focusing on tracking down those who have uh, caused violence, mayhem, particularly murder. Uh, they still don't have those individuals yet. And uh, I'm not worried, not concerned, and I thank you, the many of you who have sent me private messages asking about my well-being. I just wanted to get away somewhere for the last few days so I could get my story written, get it told, get it on audio, get it on video, uh, get it uh, on the blog site without you know having to worry about anything else. But as of right now, I'm not concerned. They, they have my phone number. I was on the 11 o'clock news, uh, the CBS affiliate in Washington, D.C. They know how to reach me if they need to reach me, if they need to find me, and if they call me, I'll uh, be happy to, to answer their questions. So I'm not running from anybody yet. I'm not a fugitive. I haven't been called yet. I haven't been contacted yet. I haven't received notice, summons, or anything else of that, of that nature yet. I hope it doesn't happen, but if it does, um, I think I'll survive a minor trespassing uh, charge. But um, as I said earlier, thankfully, the 11 o'clock news used my um, uh, video footage, and so I may or may not be given credit. I'm certainly not a, not a um, recognized journalist of any type, but I have been writing and covering the news for many years now. So that'll be my, uh, that'll be certainly my defense. And then of course, obviously there's nothing that shows me on tape in any way, shape or form, uh, doing any damage or fighting or uh, in, involved in any violence or destruction of property. So I, I'm not concerned, but again, thank you for uh, checking in on me over these last few days. So that's it. Uh, once again, Steve Baker, uh, the pragmatic constitutionalist, Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, uh, MeWe. I would say Parlor, but they're not uh, going to be around for a few, at least a few more days. Um, we are looking at setting up on Gab. 
couple of other video locations. Uh, but most importantly, please join us on uh, locals.com, thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. You can join for free or support us. Either way, your presence will be very much appreciated. Thanks and good night.